Christos Anesti. Alethos Anesti. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Resurrection blessings to you all on this Sunday of Sundays. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Alleluia. This Sunday of Easter celebrates an entirely new possibility for human living, the hope of a transformation to live the divinity of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that the risen Jesus breathes on his church, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on this most holy and glorious day, Easter, the seventh Sunday. Guiding us today in opening the Word of God is St. Gregory of Nyssa. He was born in 335 in modern-day Turkey and grew up in a very devout Christian family, although he did not necessarily share the zeal of his parents, nor the zeal of his elder sister, Macrina. In time, Gregory's Christian fervor grew as his older brother, St. Basil the Great, who was the metropolitan of the province of Caesarea, convinced him to accept ordination as a bishop. Basil, his younger brother Gregory, and a dear friend, Gregory of Nazianzus, became known as the Cappadocian Fathers. Not only were the trio able to defend the true divinity and true humanity of Jesus, the two Gregories were very influential at the Council of Constantinople in the year 381. On this Sunday of Easter, we listen to an excerpt from Gregory's homilies on the Song of Songs. This work is among the latest of St. Gregory's works and demonstrates his refined, nuanced, and masterful engagement of the allegoric method of interpreting sacred scripture. For Gregory, the homilies offer insight on the nuptial journey of the believer to union with God. This Sunday's selection is from Homily 15. Now, since the Holy Scriptures exhibit many types of fear that are blessed, 
It may be that in their case also, there is a tenfold increase analogous to the one that occurs in the case of the commandments. Thus, a person who has been taught by the psalm how fear of the Lord is established by disinclination to evil and positive doing of the good will put that fear to work and multiply it as if it were a talent or a hundred drachma. In this way, the soul that ranks behind the queenly soul, that is, the one that works the good out of fear and not out of love, will be increased in number until she achieves eighty, as she manifests in her own life, unconfusedly and distinctly, every single species of good thing that fear accomplishes. The result is that, in the case of this soul also, the number of the eighth day is multiplied in virtue of the soul's tenfold increase. And in this way, by drawing near to the good through servile fear rather than through a bride's love, she becomes a concubine rather than a queen because of her fear of the eighth day, a fear that she increases tenfold by her righteous deeds, attaining the number 80. Furthermore, the words of scriptural narrative forbid her, because when the time came, the help she gave took the form of an illegitimate and not a legitimate offspring, to dwell permanently together with the queen. Since the royal inheritance was not the same for the slave child as it was for the free. For it says, Cast out the serving woman and her son, for the son of the serving woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. If this interpretation of the number in our text seems a bit forced, remember that at the start we confessed that it was not possible to attain the truth that lies in these words. We have touched on them only to the extent that we have not left the enigmas entirely without treatment. Nevertheless, should love cast out fear completely, as it is written, and should fear transformed become love, at that point, that which is saved is discovered to be a unity, since on the basis of a perfection like that of the dove, all are united to one another in being joined to the life of the one good. It is in any case something of this sort that we understand by the next statement. One is my dove, my perfect one. One is she, for her mother, the chosen 
of the one who bore her. The meaning of this is made much clearer by what the Lord says in the Gospels. When by his blessing, he conferred all power upon his disciples and also by his address to the Father, endowed the saints with the other good things, he also added to all these the chiefest good of all, that in their judgment regarding the beautiful, they should never be split up by any difference in the choices they make. Instead, they would all become one by their growing together with the one and only good, so that, as the Apostle says, having been bound together in the bond of peace, they might all become one body, one spirit, through the one hope into which they have been called. But it would be better to set out the divine statements of the gospel themselves, word for word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Now, that which holds this unity together is glory. And no one who looks into the matter will deny that glory means the Holy Spirit. If account is taken of the Lord's words, he says, after all, the glory that you gave me, I have given to them. For the one who truly gave the disciples glory of this order was the one who said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He who invested himself with humanity received this glory before the cosmos existed. And when that humanity had been glorified by the Spirit, the further gift of the Spirit's glory was passed on to the entire heredity of that humanity, beginning with the disciples. That is why he said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Therefore, the person who has left that immaturity behind and by growing attained to mature manhood, and achieve the measure of the intelligible stature, who from being a slave and a concubine has come to share the status of kingship, and by impassibility and purity has become a recipient of the Spirit's glory. This is that perfect dove upon whom the bridegroom looks as he says, one is my dove, my perfect one. One is she, for her mother, the chosen of the one who bore her. Nor are we unacquainted with the dove's mother, 
recognizing as we do the tree from its fruit. For just as we are in no doubt that whatever a human person upon whom we gaze derives from another human person, so too, if we are inquiring about the mother of the chosen dove, we shall not think of her as anything other than a dove. For the nature of the one who begets is always discerned in the child. Since, then, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and the child is a dove, the child's mother must surely be a dove as well, the dove that flew down from heaven upon the Jordan, as John bears witness. Her young maidens bless, her the concubines and the queens praise, for the course that leads to such blessedness is the same for all souls, no matter what status they start from. That is why it says, The daughters saw her, and they bless her. The queens and the concubines praise her. For it is in the stature, common to all of them, to press forward in desire toward that which is blessed and worthy of praise. So if the daughters pronounce the dove blessed, they too are desiring to become doves. And if the concubines and queens praise the dove, this is a token that they too are eager for that which is worthy of praise. Until that time when, since all have become one in desiring the same goal and there is no vice left in any, God may become all in all persons, in those by whom their oneness and blended together with one another in the fellowship of the good in our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and power to the ages of ages. Amen. St. Gregory of Nyssa, pray for us. Let us pray. Graciously hear our supplications, O Lord, so that we, who believe that the Savior of the human race is with you in your glory, may experience, as he promised until the end of the world, his abiding presence among us, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord.